Hi, I'm Heather, and you're listening to the Holy Hot Mess Podcast, where we're just striving for holiness, even with the world and life being a massive hot mess. You're going to catch us chatting about everything, family, life, friends, health, balancing, encouragement, probably some hilarious stories, all infused with our faith in Christ. I'm really excited that you're here, so let's chat. Hey there, everyone. It is early Monday morning for me, and I'm about to just export this and immediately upload it and get it up because this, and I've got a six-year-old making eggs with her sister, and we, um, I stumbled upon this live that Marilis, who is ex-nun on the run on Instagram that she did, I don't even know when it was. It could have been a really long time ago. And I just found it, but um, I watched her live. I think it was just done a couple weeks ago. And she answered a bunch, of que- a bunch of questions. And I thought, what better person to ask about veiling than someone who was actually a nun for a couple years? <laughs> so we had a really good time. We talked for about an hour. Um, this would be great for anybody who wants to know why women in their family or in their church are veiling. It'll be great for someone who maybe is considering veiling. And I I had put this in the queue to go out in like three weeks, but we had just wonderful friends come over last night for dinner who are discerning the Eastern church. And she was talking about how like she kind of feels the pull to veil. And I said, this podcast is going to be really great for you. And then I was like, I don't want to make her wait three weeks. Um, She probably wouldn't care, but here we are. So this is my little intro. Um, anything you need, any links or whatever will be in the show notes. And um, I hope you guys enjoy my talk with Marilis. Hi. Hey, how are you? Are you can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, somehow I made it through this pandemic without um, really ever using Zoom. I like completely Lucky lost you. out. I know, right? So completely lucked out. So every time I get on this app, I'm like, dear God, please let me be able to figure this out. Like, I feel like I'm just showing my age, but I think I'm all hooked up and ready to go. So, um, okay. So I'm really excited to talk to you um, about veiling today. Yes. And um, I'm probably going to post this video and put it on Instagram. So that's why I'm cool. recording the video too. But um but yeah, I just wanted to start off. Can you kind of tell me, tell everybody who you are? Um, maybe like a little bit about your faith journey. I know it's unique. Um, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit unique. So go ahead and tell me a little bit about that. Um, so my name is Marilis. I'm excellent on the run on Instagram. Love it. Uh, born and raised in New York City. Oh, cool. And okay. Yeah. Um, my family lives in New Jersey now. We moved there when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I went to Catholic University of America for my undergrad. I studied psychology and philosophy. And Ooh. for as long as, yeah, as it's quite a combination, but yeah. um, for as long as I can remember, I always had this um, kind of desire to give my life to Jesus mm-hmm. and um, was always open to religious life. My family is Catholic. My mom is devoutly Catholic. Um 
but it was like Sunday Catholicism, you yeah. know, like we went to Catholic school and went to mass together on Sundays, prayed the rosary together as a family sometimes, but it mm-hmm. was very much just like, this is what we do. Um, yeah. And that was to the extent of how our faith was practiced. And it wasn't until I was in high school, I think, that it really became my own. Um, mm-hmm. and that personal relationship with Jesus. Um, but that desire to give my myself to him has been since I was a little girl. My yeah. I, my grandmother, funnily enough, has like drawings that I drew um, of me with Jesus. <laughs> and so when I um, was discerning religious life and when I entered, it wasn't a shock to her yeah. as much as it was to my mom or to mm-hmm. everybody else in my family. Um, and so when I was in college at Catholic, I really, that desire to give my life to the Lord mm-hmm. just intensified. And um, the more time I spent in prayer, I, the more I desired to just give him everything. Yeah. And that was when I realized, and through spiritual direction, I had a spiritual director. I had um, a pretty consistent prayer life at this point where I went yeah. to mass daily had made a daily holy hour. That's when I started cultivating that habit of, of having an hour before yeah. the blessed sacrament every day and praying the rosary daily. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the more time I spent with Jesus, the more I was like, I need to just I spend all my time with Jesus. I <laughs> the bullet and really discern if I'm called to be a sister. Yeah. And, and so that's when I started visiting convents. I was a sophomore in college. So I mm-hmm. visiting convents and it really became clear at that point that it was just this desire that I had um, was being fulfilled um, awesome. in religious life. Yeah. And I met my former sisters in college. I saw a poster of theirs on campus. Yeah. And I thought, well, I haven't discerned with the Franciscan community. Let me check oh, them wow. out. Really with the intention of crossing them off my list. Yeah. yeah. I did not see myself as a Franciscan at all. I had, I think a lot of people have the stereotype of, I really love to study, and mm-hmm. so I thought Dominican, you know, yeah, um, like super philosophy. scholarly, yeah, yeah. I love Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. um, like just devoured all Thomistic anything. So you studied feel, uh, philosophy, so yeah, yeah. philosophy, yeah. So, <laughs> you weren't like outside hugging trees; you were studying right. philosophy. So you're like, I'm not going to be a Franciscan. <laughs> yeah, and so I really, and that was the stereotype I had was that Franciscans were like these animal loving hippies. <laughs> yeah. Which is so wrong after I learned. Oh, that's funny. That was like, because that's still, that's still what I like. We had a Franciscan when we lived in New York, we had a Franciscan who was like about to go be a pastor in like Serbia or something like something, not Serbia, somewhere very dangerous. Basically he was like, Syria. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like basically taking like a, I'm aware that I'm probably not coming back. So he was a German priest his name was father bonaventure and he would um he was like touring america and he would go to different franciscan um, monasteries and that's how he kind of toured it he always wanted to see america so it was kind of his like i'm doing this for a month before i go to syria and he um it was like dead of the winter and he's walking around in flip-flops in like upstate new york and i was like who is this guy we had my son was really little at the time so he was my oldest he was probably like three 
And we go up and he's obviously not old enough to receive yet. And so Father Bonaventure does like a little blessing over top of him, but he did it in Latin. <laughs> and my son just like really loud is like, what did that guy just say to me? Like he was so, he was like, so he was like German that. accent plus speaking Latin. He was like, what is going on? Yeah. But that's totally my point of view of Franciscans is they uh, tree hugging, like tarp wearing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's such a misconception of mm-hmm. Franciscans and, I mean, obviously, St. Francis did love animals, but there's mm-hmm. so much more to him yeah. than all that. But um, so, yeah, so I had no intention of entering a Franciscan community and um, which probably in, in God's wisdom, looking back, I can see how he totally had his hand in that because yeah. then I had I had no kind of expectations going yeah. into my visit, my first visit to that convent in particular. Yeah. And I mean, it totally, I was so um, not expecting to love the community mm-hmm. and to feel so at home right away. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that first visit after, afterwards on my way home, on my way to the airport, and the sister that was driving me back, <laughs> driving me to the airport, asked me how, you know, how my visit went and and if I was looking forward to going back to school, I was on my way back to my campus, my college yeah. campus. I just lost it in the car. <laughs> and she was like, I'm sorry, was it something I said? And it really was just because I wasn't, I just was not expecting to to already miss, miss the yeah, yeah, the community. And, like, and feeling like I was leaving myself behind. In, yeah, in and where you were supposed school. to be. Yeah. Right. And so... You know, she was so wise. She was like, just take it to prayer, see mm-hmm. how you feel when you get home, talk to your spiritual director, et cetera. Yeah. And it really became this persistent just desire in my heart to, to return. And mm-hmm. so I did two months later go back and ask to enter. And oh, then that's awesome. was given, yeah, it was given the application process is pretty intense. Yeah. And so went through the whole application process and then entered in 2011, mm-hmm. um, a few months later. Okay. And went through the novitiate. Um, so did you finish college? I didn't. I dropped out of college. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Finished later. Yeah. Um, as a sister. But um, yeah, no, I dropped. I, I left. I mean, when Jesus says, you know, when he calls the apostles, when he called Peter yep. and they left everything behind, it was very much that kind of intensity for me of mm-hmm. of just wanting to, to go be with well, him. I feel like at a point, too, you... When you become aware that God is asking you to do something, when you don't drop everything and do it, it becomes disobedience. You know what I mean? Right. Very I, much. And I and I was very much under the impression too of like, if I'm not supposed to enter now, if I'm supposed to wait until I graduate, possibly, like mother would have told me that and my spiritual director would have told me that. But yeah, yeah. everybody was on. <laughs> On the same on page. On the same page, yeah. And um, even the vocation director, she had said, you know, mother might want you to finish. Mm-hmm. So just, like, don't um, take it personally if she says no to your application Yeah. at first because she might just want you to finish college and then come come when you graduate. And so, but she didn't. She was like, yeah, here you go. Um, and we'll see, you know. And so so we, then, have, yeah. we have a really close friend who is, I'm still very much discerning. Um, she's now working full-time for our church. And I met her, um, she like applied to be a babysitter for our homeschool group, um, Mm -hmm. a Catholic homeschool group. And she, she was a baby Catholic. She had just converted. And, um, 
was really like, I'm going to be a nun. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. a sister. I'm joining a convent. But, you know, everybody was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you yeah. just joined the church. Like, take your time. And, you know, it's it's been really beautiful watching, like, the process. Even the process of some convents telling her, like, not no, but not right now. Or right. it's not no to this life, but it's no to us in this life. Yeah. Um, and one of the mothers told her, you know, it's the most difficult thing we can tell someone discerning is that, yes, you are called to this life, but no, you're not called here mm -hmm. because then like our journey with you kind of stops. And so it's just interesting because I don't know, as I was raised cradle Catholic. And so, um, Easter and Christmas Sundays, maybe, um, you know, almost kind of like culturally Catholic when it, you know, yeah. Um, and being a nun was never, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a wife and a mom, but it's funny now because knowing what I know now, I love my children. I love my husband and I'm so glad God put, put me on the path. He put me on, but I'm like, if I knew what I knew now about the Eucharist, like when I was 18, I probably never would have gone to college. You know what I mean? So it's amazing how that kind of works out. I don't know, but, um, yeah. Okay. So. For sure. You're in the convent. Think, yeah. It, there's <laughs> definitely like when, when Jesus calls, it's you, you just, you can't help but say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I dropped out of college, entered the convent in 2011. Um, I was 19. And mm -hmm. uh, so like looking back, I'm like, I was a baby. I was a baby. I know. I look back at, I got married at 23. I'm like, I yeah. was a baby. I was such so, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was definitely, you know, the desire to give everything wholeheartedly without mm -hmm. reservation. And, um, and uh, back to what you were saying, I just want to add that, like, it really is a beautiful process when you're mm -hmm. discerning even before entrance, how it's not just you discerning, but the community very much is discerning it as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that it's done in wisdom and with the Holy Spirit, which yeah. I love. It's not just like, a and not just thing. like chasing, like a feeling too, yeah. you know, like had they been like oh, you're crying on the way to the airport, you can just stay. You know what I mean? Like, right. because feelings can be so manipulated by the devil. Sure. And so that's something I went to a concert and it was like a Christian. I had never been, I'm like a, <laughs> I'm going to see Bruno Mars and like, like Lil Wayne, like that's the kind of music I want to listen to. So yeah. it's funny when my friend, you know, we were like, oh, we should go see Carrie Job. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, mm -hmm. but so we go see her in concert and um, very praise you know, band kind of thing. And I was super uncomfortable in the beginning. And afterwards, like, I was like, man, like I felt the presence, like I felt good. And I, on the way back, I just kept thinking like, man, if you only chase that feeling all the time, then like mm -hmm. when faith gets dry, you're just going to be like, why, you know? So I, that's, that's awesome that they don't allow that feeling. They're looking for like the, yeah. the wisdom and the, the fortitude too, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely a process even after you enter, you know, there's mm -hmm. not, you don't enter and then you become like a full-fledged, final-vowed sister right away that's mm -hmm. several years in. So the way my community did it, with, which is very similar to many others, is there was a one-year postulancy, mm -hmm. and then you become a novice, mm -hmm. and I was a novice for two years, you're a novice for two years, and then you make temporary vows and those temporary vows are renewed. We renew them every year, but there are some communities that do it a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're invited for final vows. So mm -hmm. 
I went through the novitiate, made temporary vows in 2014, and then almost immediately after, um, I want to say it was like three or four months after I made temporary vows, I was told um, that I would be getting sent to work um, for the Vatican. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I so didn't actually, know that. Yeah, I ended up getting transferred. I was um, at the Vatican Embassy in Washington, D.C. Um, first year of that was preparing for Pope Francis's visit in mm-hmm. 2015. And then after that was just, I was there for some time. Um, yeah. And I mean, in many ways, it was a very difficult assignment, but it really opened my eyes up to just the heart of the church and mm-hmm getting to meet so many people and experience so much that I would have never yeah. had the opportunity otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then was transferred shortly after two and a half years, three years, was transferred back to St. Louis. And it was then that I really started to doubt, you know, like I didn't want to make final vows because it was the next thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found myself just very unhappy mm-hmm. and, um, like dreading the day it became just very difficult for me to live out my day-to-day life as a sister and so that was when I discerned you know started to discern is is this really what I'm supposed to do yeah and um did discern out three years ago wow I've been back in the world yeah so what do you do now I know you live in DC I live in DC. I'm okay. pretty involved with a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I call myself a stay at home single woman. That's hey. Whatever. That's a <laughs> dream. I, yeah. So I. Um, <laughs> so are you work, an entrepreneur? What are you? I am. Um, okay, cool. I work in diplomacy and then. Oh, wow. I am super heavily, heavily involved in the pro life movement. Okay. That, yeah. That's what I thought. So our, uh, my husband's military and, uh, we are in Louisiana now, but I grew up in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia Beach. Um, he grew up in Hampton. So it's funny when you say um, how you went to the convent with like no expectations of this Franciscan place. Yeah. That's how I was in college. I had my heart set on going to Penn State my whole life. I don't really know. I mean, my family was from Pennsylvania, but I was going to be the first person to go to college. So I don't know why Penn State became like the place. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I went on Virginia Tech's campus almost kind of like, mom, I'll check off these boxes of these Virginia schools just because we're in state. I'm not going here. Like I had no expectations. And it was the same thing. Like when I left, I was like, I don't ever want to leave this place, you know? Yeah. And it's it's even funny because your journey and like the discernment and how like it became so hard. Um, I was at Virginia Tech during the shooting in 2007. And so it's um, it's crazy that like, like God really can lead you to things that are like super hard, but he can bring such fruit from like that scorched earth. You know what I mean? So like, I'm sure in the moment when you're discerning religious life and you're in a convent and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. That can feel so like, almost like betrayed. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was so set on this. Like, why am I feeling this way? You know? And, and, um, but then like, look at where you are now, like the things you're doing, yeah. I mean, in the pro-life movement and stuff like that, it's like, even if you not saying that obviously being in a convent is not, that's, that's a worthy and beautiful and wonderful thing. But like, even if you just save one baby's life yeah, or have a hand sure. in saving one baby's life, then it's like, wow, God could have had you walk through all the flames you walked through just for like that one mom and that one kid, you know? So it's just kind of cool to think of that. I look at, you know, anytime the, the anniversary of the shooting is coming up next Saturday. And so um, it's now been 15 years and I can look back and just be like, man, when you 
really allow yourself to see God working. Um, it's hard. It's hard to look back on those hard times with like regret and disdain. And you know what I mean? So I always think of people that don't have faith and hope. <laughs> like, how do you look back on the crap of life and not, you know what I mean? I don't for know. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, I'm so, so grateful for my mm-hmm. time in religious life. I'm still close with my former sister is awesome. I'm super close with my former mother superior. I just yeah. saw her. I was in Italy. Oh, recently. I just got back like two, not even three days ago. I think. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and visited with her a ton. So it very much was, you know, in the wisdom of the church, that's why there is a process Yeah. Uh, before there's final vows. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can really discern if it's for you. And yeah, it was hard, especially that first year out, mm-hmm. um, kind of reacclimating myself back to life I'd never the world yeah I'd never been an adult in the mm-hmm. world I had no yeah. idea like any you know what I mean it was just yeah. very didn't even have a bank account didn't have regular clothes um had never done my taxes before oh gosh, uh, like all the things that yeah people do uh <laughs> you know I just had no idea but in, in many ways like God was just so present and continues to be so present in my life yeah day that I have never been happier have never felt more fulfilled I love my work yeah to death. like that's awesome serving the vulnerable so I work a lot with um just vulnerable populations mm-hmm. all over the world and so serving them and yeah. I was in Ukraine like I would have never gone wow. to Ukraine in the midst of all this all of this like in the midst of all of this that's insane mm-hmm. I, I had no clue last you... week yeah wow. so like none of that would have been possible had I mm-hmm. not had my experiences in religious life. And even, yeah. you know, three weeks ago when I was walking around St. Peter's Square and thinking just how full circle mm-hmm. everything has been yeah. in my life and um, how intentional God is mm-hmm. in where he leads us as long as we're open is is beyond uh yeah. you know it's like beyond my comprehension i just like laugh as i cry because yeah. i'm so overwhelmed right yeah I'm that's so overwhelmed by it um but i know i know i with certainty that my the opportunities i've been given today um mm-hmm. would not have been if it hadn't been for my experiences as a yeah. sister awesome okay sure. so when you, I know that I watched your live, you did a live on veiling. So we're going to like yeah. transition a little bit. That might've been like the worst blunt <laughs> transition of like journalism. Ever. Um, but so in your travels, mm-hmm. when you, I know that your veiling story, now, did you veil in the convent? I did. So we okay. wore a habit and a veil okay. um, in the convent, but I'd never veiled before. Okay. Okay. Life. So it wasn't like you attended a traditional mass growing up or anything like that. Okay. Um, okay. So you said that your veiling story kind of starts in Lords. Yeah. Um, it was, mm-hmm. it kind of happened by accident. That. That's crazy. I, that's not by accident. Let's be real. <laughs> no, it wasn't by accident. Nothing is by accident, no, but um, it was very unintentional on my part. Okay. Um, so I was in Lords. I went to Lords two months after I left the convent. I, okay. um, just really had no idea what I was supposed to do with my life and hadn't, you know, didn't even, just didn't even know where to start. And so Mm -hmm. a friend of mine had suggested, why don't you, you know, do something you would have never been able to do as a sister. And the first thing that came to mind for me was to walk the Camino. Oh, okay. And the starting point of the French way of the Camino de Santiago 
is in St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is fairly close to Lourdes. Okay. And so I decided, well, let me go to Lourdes first and make a little pilgrimage there before I start my Camino. Mm-hmm. And um, in Lourdes, this random woman just handed me a veil. That's um, crazy. And I just was like, what am I even supposed to, and I thought, well, are we supposed to wear them here? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe I'm being inappropriate or something. Yeah, because I was like, they, they're pretty, I can't remember if they were like, you need to have your shoulders covered, but either way I was like, you know, modestly dressed. Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, I guess we're supposed to wear these here. Like I I didn't know what, what was happening. I don't speak French Mm -hmm. and she didn't speak English. Oh no. (laughs) So she just handed it to me. I was just like, thank you. You know? Yeah. Um. And then I realized nobody else was wearing it at church. Oh, no. So it was really just so random. Yeah. Um, and I actually didn't even wear I carried it with me the entire Camino, um, but didn't consistently but you didn't wear, it. wear it. I okay. just, I think I had the same apprehensions that I've noticed so many other women have of feeling awkward or uncomfortable for being the yeah. only ones wearing one, mm-hmm. um, not knowing how to wear it or... Um, when to wear it or yeah or like feeling like you're drawing attention to yourself yeah 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 feeling self-conscious and not wanting to be the only person with it on and you know on and I had all those same thoughts Mm -hmm. um but so so I carried this veil with me on the Camino and would wear it sometimes not wear it other times Mm -hmm. and it wasn't really until like probably after the Camino when I was in Fatima so I walked Oh my gosh, the dream. Um, I know it was the greatest gift I think God could have given me second to my time in religious life. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't until I was in Fatima that I really began kind of praying about veiling and why Mm -hmm. women veil and started doing research. I remember asking my grandma because growing up she had veiled. Yeah. Um, And so she... She was like, that's just something people did in the olden days. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, why? Why did women veil? Why did women stop veiling? And so that was when my search to understand what veiling was really began mm-hmm. was that summer. Um, and then shortly after, when I got home to the United States, I started attending traditional Latin mass. Mm-hmm. Um, That'll do it too. Yeah. <laughs> and so really seeing more women veil in that. was you know it was a fruit of me um and then be just I mean being in awe of of the reason why women are called to veil is you know is because we're before the sacred but then yeah because we are life vessels and the woman who veils and I just loved I was just so put in awe and love that very like succinct explanation mm-hmm. um, of failing, but then to do understand that it is like a personal decision. Um, yeah. You know, that like if you feel pressured to veil, that's only going to distract from the reason why we veil. Why you're veiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, if you're thinking about how the veil is sitting on your head, or if you're thinking about, I'm the only one with a veil on in church, mm-hmm. instead of really it being helping to f- help you focus in prayer. Yeah. Yeah, with the Lord, then you probably shouldn't veil until you get over that. But then yeah. veiling helps you to get over that. Like for me, it really just became a, yeah. a, a you know, a 
decision to I will not think about what other people are thinking about me, which they're yeah. probably thinking about me. Yeah, so. exactly. I think that was um, so. My like veiling story is we had um, it was a long time coming, but we I really um, <laughs> I went back to the confession for the first time since confirmation. Um, when I was pregnant with my son and honestly, and I've talked about this before in my podcast, but it was honestly like a, okay, God, I'm going to do this the way you want me to do it. That way you keep my baby safe inside me. Like I just had all this anxiety. Something was going to go wrong with the pregnancy. And so I'm like, well, I'll go to confession and I'll go to church every Sunday because that's what God wants. And it was very much like an unhealthy way to approach the sacrament, but the graces still flowed from that. And, um, I started going to mass more consistently and I met the priest at our cathedral. And after mass, we were chatting one time and he found out that, um, I had worked with kids before. And so he came, he's like processing in one day and I have my one-year-old with me, my husband's deployed and he just like dips into the pew and he's like, I need to talk to you after mass. And I was like, Oh no, I, I don't know what I did, but I just assumed like I did something wrong. Well, he asked me to teach the confirmation class. He said, he worked with gymnasts. Um, that's, that's where I worked with kids. I didn't work with kids like in a school setting. I coached upper level gymnastics. So he was like, this is the age you worked with. We really need somebody to do confirmation. And it was such a beautiful blessing because I looked at it as, well, if I have confirmation class and I have to show up to mass, my husband's deployed, this will mean that I definitely get to mass. <laughs> and, um, but I, I learned so much. We learned, we did in like the Ascension Presents, like confirmation series, whatever. And, um, in that class, there was a, my little aide, he was a, he was a junior or senior in high school and he was dead set. He's like, I'm going to be a priest. He knew it. This and there son. was, no, not my son. This was no. a student? Just this a student. student. Yeah. Just a student. Yeah. He, and he's, he is, he's in the Vatican right now. He's at pontifical college or whatever. Um, and the impact on me, just like, as I was still such a baby in my faith to like, look at an 18 year old, 17 year old and him be like, I know what I'm doing with my life. I was like, I'm 26 and I have no clue what I'm doing with my life. And then there was another girl. Um, and honestly, I don't even know what has happened with her, but her and her family failed. And it was the, um, it was my curiosity that like, I didn't ever judge them. It just made me go, why would they do that? You know? And Right. And so in that whole process, like, that's how I learned about the true presence. I had been mm -hmm. Catholic my whole life and I really didn't know. And it started to make so much more sense. This is why the tabernacle is veiled. This is why, you know, and so, um, it took me like a solid two years after that, before I finally was like, okay, um, my husband was deployed again and we were in New York this time and we were at a tiny little parish and I was going to be the only person there, but it was really on my heart. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to veil. So for my birthday, my like 20, 28th birthday, um, I asked her a veil and it took forever. And it finally got delivered to me like the week before Advent started. And I thought, I thought this is what I'm going to do for Advent. You know, I'm going to start veiling. I'm going to get over myself and realize that nobody really cares. Honestly, they're probably looking at the toddlers dancing in the pew and not so much me with my veil. Um, and it was kind of that humility. I remember one time asking her priest at the cathedral, you know, what is the point of me going to mass? This is before I really knew about the Eucharist or anything, but you know, I had a little squirmy toddler and he just kind of looked me in the face very fatherly and was like, it's not about you, you know, like, so that realization of like, oh man, all Protestant services are really about like what I can do for God, but the mass is about what God is doing for us. And so realizing that and then being like, oh, this is literally God up there. And so 
if the president of the United States, regardless of who it is, whether I like him or not, him or her or not, you know, the Queen of England, if I were, if somebody was like, the Queen of England is going to come, you know, go out to dinner with you, I'd be like, I'm going to get a really nice dress and I'm going to figure out whatever her customs are. And I'm, you know what I mean? And I'm going to do those things. Um, So why am I not doing that for the God of the universe? That was kind of my like, oh, maybe maybe I should get over myself a little bit because it's not about me. <laughs> but also because I was really evangelized by it. I thought, what a beautiful way to just subtly, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to convert anybody by screaming at them or screaming Bible verses at them. Um, it's really in like your actions and how you behave. And, and sometimes that takes years for the fruit to come where somebody just sees you and is like, that's weird that she wasn't wearing a veil when she was on the steps of the church, but now she's wearing one inside. And I wonder why, you know what I mean? Like, so just for somebody to be curious enough to like Google, why would a woman wear a head covering at church is enough that like, there's millions of poorly catechized Catholics (laughs) that could now be like illuminated to the fact that um, it really is a beautiful, pious practice. And I think too, especially like when I forget it to like, you feel naked a little bit. Like yes. it just feels so. It's I not know, like, I definitely do. Like to not have anything like real of substance to say, but it just feels like not right. You know what I mean? Like you feel right. your disposition feels changed. Um, I don't know. You do feel more sacred and more sure. beautiful too. I mean, I could even have no makeup on, but there's just something beautiful about like, oh, I wore a veil when I approached my husband on the altar when we got married. So like, this is the ultimate spouse. Why would I not wear a veil as I'm approaching him? You know, like, so I don't know. That's, that's kind of where we came from. Okay. I got a question. Somebody asked. Yes. Okay. So they said, I think there's a lot of misconception that veiling is somehow derogatory to women. Um, That women are somehow less than men because they veil. Um, so can you speak, I, I know that you've responded to that to people before. So like that whole, the church wants women down, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I think probably the simplest way to a- address that and answer it is to take one look at who the highest, like after Jesus. Yeah. Who the highest person we honor in the church is Our Lady. Yeah. How many songs and prayers? I mean, there's a liturgy of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like just, yeah. So that whole notion of the church, um, you know, degrades women and um, somehow like doesn't hold her to a higher standard. Yeah. um, Or as high of a standard as men is a complete lie. Yeah. Um, because our, you know, our lady is so loved and honored. And then the fact that women um, are allowed to veil, I think is only exemplifying her dignity. The fact that we are able to be set out apart in a way, mm-hmm. um, in that way is, is just beautiful. And yeah, I, I love that. I love that we're given that that notion of an honor in that yeah. way. Well, I think too, like the argument is always like, Hello. well, men can celebrate mass. Hello. And I'm like, women can carry Hello. light. Oh, are we not working? Yeah, for a second you froze. Sorry. Oh, okay. 
Are we good now though? Good. Yeah, we're good okay, now. Good. Um, so I think that notion where, you know, people want to do the argument that, well, priests can celebrate mass and like, why can't women? And I'm like, women can carry light. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're really going to go like comparing, I'm like, For we sure. got the better deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think people, we live in a world that wants to like, they don't understand that equal means set different dignity you know like yeah, equal like dignity but like we have our own roles yeah separate roles yeah um, and I mean like even if you just look at I studied biology so like even if you just look at like biological sim- systems like yeah like a fly is just as important as an alligator they all play their role in this ecosystem, ecosystem. you know what I mean so it's like it's silly but it's like oh more rights for flies and it's like well no if there were more flies on earth then like there would be imbalance to the system. You know what I mean? So it's just silly to me. Um, But I love, I love touching on the fact that like, even as an imitation, like the, I always say like the best way to a a boy is through his mom. (laughs) And so, you know, like there, there are some things as women, we can't relate to St. Joseph and, and even to Jesus so much because we are women, you know? And so Jesus's roles, even in the Jewish traditions or whatever, um, the priestly roles, the things men did, um, served their families in different ways than women did. And so we are given this beautiful family to emulate and it's Mary, you know, and, and, you know, we always say like, we pray that Mary protects us with her mantle. And so it's just a beautiful reminder, um, that like the more I can strive to be like her, the closer I'm going to be to him, you know? And she only brings us closer to him. I mean, she literally never like amplifies herself, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Okay. So somebody else asked, why do, why do men not bail then? (laughs) Because they're not life bearers in the same way women are. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Um, okay. So Maria on Instagram asked, why did veiling fall out of practice? I'm seeing more and more people do it nowadays and wondering why all of a sudden this resurgence. So I'm not sure of like the actual historic everything. I tried to look it up a little bit. Yeah, I think it just with the radical shift post Vatican II, Mm -hmm. um, this radical shift of getting rid of a lot of these um, traditional practices Mm-hmm. One of the, sadly, one of the things that um, was let go of was veiling. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I actually think it's in many ways, the fact that we, as women are able to decide to veil, it's yeah. not something that you're made to do. I mean, my yeah. mom tells stories of when she was a little girl, pre-Vatican II, and not, and having to put like a, a napkin on her yeah. head because she forgot her veil. Yeah. And so I think in that way, a lot of what veiling was lost its meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, it became a box to check. Yes. And I think so much of it is just like lack of really catechism and like mm-hmm. lack of being taught and explained why you veiled. It was just like, this is something you do. So you do it. Yeah. Um, and you don't ask questions too. You know that was questions. a lot of the culture then yeah. too was, um, right. You know, I remember growing up and being like, why do we genuflect whenever we enter the church? Mm -hmm. And somebody just being like, because it's what you do. 
when right. in reality, that's a beautiful teaching moment, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, it's so important, especially like I, I look at everything through the lens of being a parent. It's so important for me to constantly be catechizing myself because my, the kids are going to come up with questions, yeah. you know? And I remember growing up too, that somebody asked me, are you Catholic or are you Christian in high school? I didn't, I didn't even know how to answer that, you right. know? So it's like, if you're not constantly, um, learning about the faith yourself and like when those questions come up and you give somebody a mm, answer then it's like well then does that really mean anything mm -hmm. um so that's why i think like the conversations about veiling are important because i think the majority of women who veil are not out there saying everybody must veil right i think a lot of us are saying if if more of us did mm -hmm. um and really understood why and and just showed that like, this is a separate place. You know, we walk through these doors and there's something special about being here, something different, something more sacred. Um, and you know, we, we live in the Bible belt. So it's like, it, sometimes it's hard. We have all these like Baptist converts, even our priest is a Baptist convert. And, and, um, he gets on everybody so much that like after mass, like the sanctuary is not the place to communicate. It's not where you stand and chat. Yeah. Like we have outside for that. We have that in our, you know, is such a pet peeve of mine. I cannot. And, it's, and if you think about it, it's like these, these, um, Protestant services are, they go from a basketball gym mm -hmm. to being their place of community worship to then being a place of breakfast and, and things like that. And there's no setting apart, um, right. for, obviously sacrificial things are not happening there, but, um, but it's, it's a good reminder that I, I have noticed more and more people. Uh, we had some sisters, I think in 2020 make vows at our church and, um, they brought in altar rails for the sisters to make their profession of vows. And our priest was like, don't take them away. We want them there. And I think that too has been, um, very few people received kneeling and on the tongue prior to that. Yeah. But since they were there, I, it was kind of the same, like veiling discernment thing. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of was like, well, you know, I looked into why would people receive on the tongue instead of on the hand? I've always done it on the hand. I feel awkward. Will the priest think I'm a weirdo? Like, what if he touches my tongue? Like, you know, like all those things. For sure. And I finally bit the bullet and just started doing it. And the fruits that come from like, when you just feel that pull and you're like, God's asking me to do something. And so now it's beautiful because even in, you know, middle of nowhere, Marshall, Texas, I attend a church on the way home from Dallas. And um, there's now that conviction in you that it's like, no, I know who I serve. I know who is in front of me. And I kneel now, you know, and so sometimes even too, it's like this act of uh, humility of like, well, this is going to hurt <laughs> to get right. down and up and whatever. Um, you know, and so sometimes even that act of humility with veiling is like, if you're feeling it, um, even if something just is beautiful about it and you think there's something about that and maybe I want to try it. Maybe I, you know, I've always encouraged people like you're not going to get burned at the stake if you put a veil on and do it for four weekends and then decide like that's, that doesn't make me feel closer to God. Mm -hmm. um, and the church has really given us so many beautiful things that really can, you know, not everybody needs to wear a brown scapular. I think it can be a beautiful devotion if people um, if it helps them to become closer to Christ, but if it's not, then you obviously shouldn't be doing that. It's not a precept of the church. Um, but so, yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, that was, uh, about the veiling falling out of practice. So I did read that the veiling, 
um, because Vatican II put like specific wording, they didn't denounce failing. It was more like they gave a, it is no longer required. And a lot right. of people took that as um, either it's it's not necessary or it is not it is not approved of, you know what I mean? Like the wording was kind of made a little more extreme instead of going from women must, which like in 1917, it was like canon law, like a woman's head had to be covered to enter the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of a, she must, it became a, um, it's up to your discretion kind of thing. But that kind of swung the pendulum the other way to being like, especially in the sixties and the feminist movement to like, we're shedding this, you know, patriarchy or whatever. Um, And so I'm not, honestly, I'm not really sure why it's making a resurgence. I, I don't, other than the fact that I think all of us have been, the majority of us have been so poorly catechized Mm -hmm. that um, when you really just realize life is really hard to handle without God, Mm -hmm. and then you make the connection just that simple connection of like, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I want to follow the church that Jesus founded. So let me figure out what church he founded. Mm-hmm. And when you find out it's the Catholic church, you have to make this jump where you say, um, you know, like in, in my youth, I used birth control. In my youth, I was like to each their own with abortion. Um, you know, death penalty saves taxpayer money or whatever the argument may be. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where you say like, okay, I might not emotionally like that this is what the church teaches about something, but it's now my duty that because I've accepted Jesus Christ and because I'm following his church, it's now my duty to understand and obey that until I get to the point of like truly like wrestling and then resting with it. Mm-hmm. Um so like veiling is not one of those things, but I think um, when people start to look into the Eucharist and all these things, it's like, no, that is a place really set apart for God. And there's something beautiful and um, really like grounding about your prayer life when you put a veil on. And it's, yeah. I don't know, it's hard to explain until you do it, you know? For sure. And I know per- for myself personally, and maybe other people might be able to relate to this, especially in the last two years, I feel like there's really been this resurgence Mm -hmm. in my heart um, to be more reverent Mm -hmm. um, and just to to see how the Eucharist is so disregarded is painful. Yeah. And so this desire to almost make up for the abuses against the Eucharist Mm -hmm. um, has definitely, you know, like urged me on to bail, to receive on the tongue. Yeah. Kneel while receiving. Yeah. um, You know, like seek out reverent liturgies Mm -hmm. to just like all the things that I, and you know, in my weakness and sinfulness too like I'm no perfect person yeah by any means but to really try um as hard as I can to be able to practice reverence Mm -hmm. and to do so interiorly but then to do so exteriorly as well and yeah I can do so exteriorly and 
and to show my reverence to the Lord, to the blessed sacrament is to veil. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, okay. So Bailey on Instagram asked, uh, what do you say to someone who's concerned about the looks you might get when you go to a mass um, at a parish that you're the only one, one veiling? And I kind of twisted that to, to even say, let's say you've been at a, at a parish for a long time. Maybe you grew up there, maybe whatever. And now all of a sudden you're feeling this pull and it's like, what do you say to somebody who feels that, but is like, well, I've been at this parish for 25 years. And now what are people going to say whenever I walk in one day with a veil, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's two things. A, um, I'm very much of the mindset of like, that's not my problem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if other people don't like it or are giving me weird looks, I mean, mm -hmm. But then too, that can really be a teaching moment. Um, if somebody were to go up to you and ask, you know, yeah. why are you veiling all this? Or what even is this? They might not even know what veiling is, you know? Yeah. Um, that, that that can be a teaching moment of like, this is a veil and this is why I wear one. And, yeah, you know, like that is, it could be that opportunity that the Lord's giving you to be able to share the beauty of this act of reverence that you're making in the sacrament that we're able to yeah. partake in. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, even just also the humility of like, it's not really about me. And if I yeah. feel, I mean, even anything, if I feel anything in my heart, that's like, I should start praying the raise the rosary daily, you know? And if it's like three months go by and every night you're like, Oh, I should have prayed my rosary today. I really felt like, you know, like God's calling. If you get to a point where you're like not doing that, that becomes disobedience. And so it's like, there's so many fruits from just picking up your cross. And sometimes like it's silly as it is, like a veil might be a cross for a little bit. You know, your family might think you're a weirdo um, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And, um, or you might have to stand up and defend um, against people who are super feminist, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the ultra. I, I'm yeah. fine with with women's rights and things, you know, but but that mm -hmm. ultra feminism where you're trying to like down with men kind of thing. Um so I think, yeah, it can totally be a teaching moment, but also like there might be a little bit of crosses that you're called, um, but the beauty that can come from that is also, you're not going to know that until you kind of take the jump. Um, so another one said, what do you say to someone who is less concerned about being the only person, but more concerned about drawing attention to themselves? Um or being a distraction or being judged because they think that they're holier than everybody else or that people perceive that they're holier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that is a similar answer as well. Like your focus in church mm -hmm. when you're veiling should really be the Lord. Yeah. Um, to really just like hone all your thoughts and feelings to worshiping and adoring him alone. Mm-hmm. And to try as hard as you can to not worry so much about, oh, they think this of me or they're looking at me this way or I'm being perceived as holier than thou. Like, no, you're not. And yeah. and um, if you were holier than thou, we wouldn't need you here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and just direct all those, even when that thought comes up or that feeling comes up, like sit, tell Jesus about it. Like, yeah. Lord, I feel like they're looking at me weird and I feel like they're thinking, you know, they're judging me for veiling and like, mm -hmm. tell them about it. Like rather yeah. than, um, you know, bringing that in on yourself and yeah. letting your thoughts just like run awry in your head to like share that with him because he wants to hear about it too. Yeah. You know? Or pray for that person you feel any sort of judgment by. I know um, that's something 
uh, now having four young kids, thank God we go to a church where like the 930 mass is just the kid mass. It's not loud and irreverence. It's just like people have six month olds and they squeal and, you know, and there's beauty in that. Um, it's not irreverent at all, but, yeah. um, you know, that feeling where you're like, oh, my kid is doing whatever, or you're like talking through your teeth at someone and you're just thinking my kid's being such a distraction or that old lady's looking over here at me. And, um, I remember one time the realization hit me as like, whatever I'm perceiving that person is glaring or whatever. I had some woman who just like, kind of had like RBF, like she just looked mm-hmm. and I was like, my kids are disturbing her entire mass experience. And, you know, one of my kids like drew her a picture randomly and like hands it to her at the end of mass. And she looked at me afterwards, like tears in her eyes. And she was like, I was never able to have kids. Like nothing gives me more joy than sitting here watching. And I was like, joy was not what I saw on your face. (laughs) Like I saw annoyance and whatever, but it's funny because we really don't know what somebody else is thinking. So you can perceive it's judgment or whatever, or you can just think in your head, like, I feel like this guy's looking at me. Uh, you know, God, whatever this person needs prayer for right now, please like, let me offer this mass up for them. Um, something like that, because I think it's really important to just, it's even that thing, like when somebody's nasty at the grocery store, it's like, you have no clue, you have no clue what they're going what's going on in their life. So, um, I think that whole, like thinking you're going to be holier than thou is also a humility thing. It's like, well, you're not. (laughs) So, so maybe you could be evangelized, you know, like maybe somebody might think that you think you're better than them, but also probably 90 something percent of the time they're inquisitory. Um, they think it's beautiful. You know, they, it could be a form of catechesis. You know what I mean? Like there's so many more right. things that I, I think the majority of the time, it's not the holier than thou thing, you know? Right. Um, okay. So Raina asked, we're almost done. Uh, Raina asked, um, is there a correct way to veil? Um, and she specifically, I'm pretty sure is not, uh, she's an RCIA right now. So she's asking right. if, um, one, is there a correct way to veil? And then two, um, should she wear a veil if she's not Catholic? I think, yes, you can wear a veil if you're not Catholic. You don't need to be Catholic to veil. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as if there's a right way to veil, um, I think traditionally, I know there's all different colors now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or people try, you know, women um, like to match the liturgical season with mm-hmm. their veils. Um, but like, old school tradition was if you were single and unmarried you were white mm-hmm. and then once you're married you wore a black veil but again, which is a are, great way for catholic dating if you're dating right? every time i put my white veil on i thought i think i wonder if my husband's here right oh um, maybe yeah but no so but there is no like specific correct way there's mm-hmm. i know there are women um, who will wear a hat instead of yeah. like a lacy mantilla mm-hmm. um, I've seen scarves too. Yeah, I have a really pretty scarf from I think it's called Outrageous Mom on Etsy, but it's like this watercolory, yeah, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and um, it's this big long scarf, and I just tied a little knot in the end, and I kind of loop it around, and honestly, it like kind of feels like like what Muslim women wear, but it just fe- it keeps me warm if I'm chilly. Um, but there's just something, it's, there's something beautiful about it and it covers all of my hair. So I don't have to do my hair for mass when I'm trying to get all these people ready. <laughs> yeah. So no, there isn't like a specific right way to. Yeah. So there's no like, 
older women have to wear a doily and the younger you are, the longer it is. Like there's nothing like that. It's no. really the tradition was you wear a black veil if you're married and white mm-hmm. if you're single. But I mean, there's everything from infinity veils. Um, those were really, if anybody's listening, those were really helpful when I had little kids because they couldn't pull it off. Mm. Um, it would just like, if it fell, it fell down to my neck and then I could just pull it back up. Um, so the, the infinity veils, veils are beautiful. Um, I have like a triangle chapel veil now that I really like. Um, and my kids ask for, for them and I don't push it because just like you said, I don't want it to be this requirement that gets, Mm -hmm that the meaning gets pushed to the wayside um, out of checking a box. So I have them and I'm like, absolutely. And I mean, my oldest girl is only six now. So, you know, obviously the conversation will be had and I will encourage it if she wants to, but I would never like, you're not allowed to walk into this parish (laughs) unless you have, you know. Um, But, you know, I keep one in my car because we have a 24 hour adoration chapel at our church. And so, you know, sometimes we just like Southern pop by to say hi to Jesus and, you know, mom grabs her veil out of the, out of the glove box and throw it on and pop it back off, you know? So at least the kids are at least made aware with that, that like mom knows there's something special about this Mm -hmm. space and this space, you know? Um, And what a beautiful way to be able to teach them that, you know, and that like you're, you're special because you're a woman. Yeah. The priest Mm -hmm. is up there in that cool garb and like, your brother someday is going to be able to be an altar server. And, um, you know, I do think it's super cute when I see the little girls in the veil, little tiny humans. I know. So so cute. So, so cute. cute. Um, and I think it's funny too. I was reading like an article. Um, I read some terrible articles in trying to research some of this, like so feminist, like they were just trying. Yeah. Some of them were like American Magazine, like the Jesuit, oh, well, stuff like that. I literally, know. I literally like put the link up at the top, top, and I wrote terrible article. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of them did say that it's kind of funny that um, nobody bats an eye when a bride wears a veil to walk down the aisle to her husband. Nobody looks at her and says, "Oh, you submissive anti-feminist!" Like, you know, your husband's just going to beat you, and you know, like nobody says that. It's a beautiful tradition of purity and reverence and um and it you know nobody says anything when we encourage little girls to wear veils at their first communion out of this reverence so it's just so funny that it's like oh but everybody comes out with like sticks swinging when a woman wants to wear veil to mass on sunday um okay um so do you have any resources? Um, I wrote some and I'll link some in there too, but it, do you have like a favorite place you buy veils? Um, I know you got one in Lords, but I know you have a few more too, because it does become a thing. I do CrossFit and um, shoes are CrossFit thing. <laughs> Once you bite the bullet and you start buying CrossFit shoes, you buy a lot of, <laughs> a lot of shoes. Um, but okay. So any resources on veiling, like any, if you can remember like any websites you went to, to like when you were kind of thinking about it. Um, so Veils by Lily. Okay, that's the one I had. Had uh, has great um just an explanation of why women veil and um she has beautiful veils as well, though I haven't bought one from her yet. That's where my did. first one was from, was okay. from Veils by Lily, yeah. Okay, so but she has on her on her website there's a page just explaining what veiling is. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a facts mm-hmm. page, which was great if you just want a quick, easy um you know, question answer type thing. Yeah. For veiling. And then as far as where I buy veils, um, my favorite 
place to get them is Zelly's Sewing Studio. She's the one in Australia, right? Yeah, she's in okay. Australia. She had sent me one as a gift um, a while back, and then I just have loved her veil, so I've bought a veil from her since. Okay. Um, I only wear white veils. Okay. I do like that that tradition. Mm-hmm. I I like toy with the idea of getting like a black. I toy with the idea of getting a black one for Lent, mm-hmm. but um. So yeah, no, I only have those three veils. Um, the one from Lord, and then the two from Zelly Sewing Studio that I just switch out. So I got one off Amazon. The one I typically wear right now, the like triangular one. I got that one off Amazon. I'm always worried. I got it off Amazon because we were supposed to be traveling for a very short period of time. We're going to be back by, for mass. And then we ended up staying on the East Coast for six weeks. And I was like, well, I need a veil. So I got one off Amazon. And um, the only thing I worry about that is like, you do not ever know who's making it, who's making it or their intent or is something. Be- I mean, I know that this is super like conspiracy theory, like seeming, but like, have you seen how you can buy bulk rosaries off Amazon, but they're actually like these oh. Satan rosaries? Yeah. So you can like buy these bulk rosaries and people will pass them out at churches because you can oh get a hundred for $25. But if you like look at it, turn it around, there's like Satan it's image on the back and like, yeah. yeah, like things like that. And so mm-hmm. um, after I got it, like probably six months later, I was like, Ooh. So I had it blessed by our priest because I was just like, well, let's just be sure because you would never know. Um, what something has been consecrated to, you might as well just make sure it's being cut. But um, yeah, there is a um, Veils by Lily is what I had. Armor of God LV, which is out of Las Vegas. Um, they make some of the, first of all, the woman who makes them is like one of the most beautiful like Latina women. I bet. I mean, she's just like, I look at her and I'm like, that is a beautiful specimen of a woman. She's just gorgeous. And um, she has I the one that stood out to me is she had this veil that was like the sun and moon and stars on it looking at it right now that's beautiful right and she's I mean she's gorgeous so that that helps yeah, but think of like our lady of Guadalupe exactly that's what I thought I was like that is absolutely stunning so I've never bought from her but her stuff looks beautiful she also makes bags to keep your veil in Mm, I um, love that. So does Zelly Sewing Studio. Yes. It um, comes with a little bag, which I oh, love. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And um, Veils by Lily, too, I think you can add like a clip to keep it on your head if it falls off. Um, and then the last one is um, Magnificent Veils. Um, and I've heard of that, too. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I see that she very traditional Latin um, veils, but she like hand embroiders. I'll have to get the... Thing. I have no clue the price of those things. They're gorgeous. Okay. But they're like real intense. She like hand embroiders all of it. And it's very, very crazy. I, think I, so, recently, I don't remember her, her handle, but handled. I think I recently came across that on Instagram as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. But I was like, Ooh, that is God forbid I snagged that one. I would not be happy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's so many, I feel like um, these small businesses that are popping up. Mm-hmm. Um, of women who make veils, which I love and yeah. love supporting them. So definitely like vote them over Amazon. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially these tiny, tiny little businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So um, we're just wrapping up now. So will you just remind everybody where we can find you? Like, I don't know if you have a website or anything, but I know Instagram. I don't have a website okay. yet. Um, but it's yeah. X not on the run on Instagram. I love it. I, yeah. <laughs> 
DM me, follow, whatever. Yay! Okay, well, it was so good talking to you. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't know where my exit button is, so give me a minute. Because remember, like I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, (laughs) I can stop the video. We'll stop that now. (laughs) The video has stopped. (laughs) Ah, No, it hasn't. I stopped your video. How do I do this? Uh, I think I'll leave the room. Okay, you leave the room and then I'll just shut my computer off. (laughs) Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Guys, that was super fun. I'm really excited that we got to chat. All the notes for this episode are in whatever app you are listening to them to, or you can find it and lots and lots more on my blog and website, which is holyhotmess.net. There you're going to find all the links that I mentioned in this episode, if I mentioned any links, that any information you really need, it's going to be in there, the little summary, things like that. You can connect with me on Instagram, Heather Yar, Yar, Y-A-R-R, with an underscore, because somebody apparently has the same name as me, which is crazy. And for the podcast, which is Holy Hot Mess Podcast. I'd love for you to come over, say hi, ask questions, give me topic suggestions, and most importantly, just become virtual friends. And since we're now friends... If you really enjoyed this episode and this podcast, just do me a huge favor, huge, huge favor, because the more wonderful reviews we have, the wider we can reach with our support, the laughs, the tips, the encouragement, and we can have support for the podcast as well. So until next time.